says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from the old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Nobody in here expects to get their own way, right? Right? Somebody, come on, help me. <laughs> then you'll be able to be, live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. Because what you want is not life. So let's take a look at a desperate pursuit. The definition of desperation is a state of despair, typically one which results in a rash or extreme behavior. A lot of times it leaves us where we're in a place of anguish and hopelessness. You're, you're in this place of you'd, you'd do almost anything to get to where you need to be. And God knows your desperation, but even if he didn't, you can find hope still in him. Even if he didn't know it, you could still find hope in that. And maybe you're desperate. There's something going on in your life. Financially, you're desperate. You got a health issue where you're desperate. Um, I just found out on my way here in between that someone in Apple Valley passed away last night and had a wife and two kids, and, and I'm sure there's a desperation in the heart of that uh, wife right now in, in Apple Valley. And, there's, and in that desperation, you're looking for something to help you, right? You're looking for somewhere to go. You're in a tough marriage situation, and, and it's funny because... Uh, it, where, where it's not funny, but it, it's it, when we get desperate, it's interesting how we open the door to everything, and it's a dangerous place to be. Desperation can be a dangerous place to be. Desperation can be incredible, incredibly motivating to pursue God with, but it can also open the door to demonic things that that promise to help us. Like, you know, there's black magic, and then there's this idea of white magic where there's this concept that there's magic that's going to take place, and it's good magic. You know, it's, it's there to help us. So, God, if you're not going to help me, then, 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 then this magic will help me. And it's funny, they don't say Satan will help me, but where does it come from? There, there, there's only, the only other power that was given to Satan was given to Satan by God that he operates in. So the power, but he takes the power of God and he uses it to manipulate, deceive, and to kill, deceive and to kill and destroy. Isn't that interesting? You ever stop to think, where did Satan get his power? It all comes from God, but Satan uses it to destroy you, and he'll lull you in and make promises that he has no intention of keeping because he's a liar, and he'll use it to get you in. So you got to be careful if you're desperate. You got to be careful of what you're pursuing crystals and all of the stuff that they say you get that that is demonic and it's an open door to some darkness so um if you have your bible um it occurred to me this morning actually when i was going over this that i i i should have went back further because the whole chapter is kind of wrapped the context of this is wrapped in this idea of desperation and so in, in chapter 5, I'm going to read this to you. It won't be on the screen, so you'll need that Bible you brought with you if you had it. And if you didn't, just move closer to someone who has one. Here's what it says. It says, they went across the lake, the region, this is verse 1, and, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him, and this man lived in tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often chained, he was often chained hand and foot, 
but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons from feet. Now, we're not talking about those handcuffs from the honeycombs box. I mean, that's not what he broke. I mean, these were legitimate iron hand. They were way better than even the ones you'd probably even get here. These are legitimate chains that were forged. They were pretty, pretty solid chains. And, and no one could bind them, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Here is a guy that's pretty desperate. He can't even control himself. He's got demons living in him in this point in time, right? So I want you to envision this a little bit. Jesus is on the, at the Sea of Galilee. He's on the other side, which you can see from each coast. You can see the entire Sea of Galilee. It's more like a large lake. And you can see all the way across it. And Jesus is over there, and, and he gets out of the boat. And uh, he, I, I want you to imagine a bunch of pigs with pig farmers. Any pig farmers in here? That would never be true in Richfield, but... Here, there may be somebody that does pigs. You know, maybe you're a pig farmer and, and you raise pigs. How many know they, they really do stink, right? That's right. That's why. So, so they're out, out in the field and they have their pigs. And you, they're watching this whole scene play out because there are not a lot of trees. So you can essentially see up on the hill where they're at. You can see everything from that area. And here comes this boat. Maybe you know who it is. Maybe you don't. But they're getting out of the boat, and then you see in the distance the guy that's naked, who they was breaking chains, who they've not been able to subdue, come running down to Jesus. A desperate man running down uh, to this man getting out of the boat. And, and you can imagine those pig farmers going, Hey, John, look what's going to happen. Uh, look at whatever his name is. He's running down, but this should be interesting. Go get the beef jerky. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and uh, they don't like to eat pork in front of the pigs, so there's beef that they were eating. It kind of uh, keeps the pigs a little more settled. And uh, they're watching this whole thing play out, and this man who nobody could subdue probably beat up all kinds of people. I mean, this guy's breaking chains, comes down, and can you just see it? He comes to Jesus, and it says he fell at his feet. This man nobody could subdue, subdue fell at his feet. And it reminds me of a story, and I don't have any time to tell you the story, but how many want to hear an incredible story? Of a, I have no time, but this is the power of God. Uh, there was a missionary, uh, Bongiorno was his name. I believe it was, that's not right, but he was a, he was a missionary in Central America, and people had said, uh, told them that there was a man that heard uh, about him, and that man said he was going to kill this missionary. And one Sunday morning, he's preaching, and... Uh, and uh, 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 as he's preaching, he gets done, and he stands down, and he sees a man come through the door, and it's that man running through the door, uh, getting ready to come, and he comes running up, and he says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, and the missionary goes, you will go this far no more, it just says, you will stop, and the man falls to his face and says, there's no God like Jehovah, there's no God like Jehovah, there's no God like Jehovah, completely set free, all the demons left. He had been demon-possessed in that moment. And I, and I envision that in this setting, right? And uh, about the time that the man falls at his feet, the demons, the, the, the pigs start getting a little worked up. And the farmer, hey, 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 what's up with the pigs? What's going on? The pigs, aren't they getting a little restless? And they take off, and it says that the pigs ran down a steep hill and in the lake. 
right? We all know what happened to the pigs. The demon that was breaking chains went into the pigs, and the pigs drowned themselves in the lake, right? Then they go and tell the townspeople what happened. The townspeople come out and tell Jesus, you need to leave because you set a guy free. Isn't it amazing how people, and we would never do that in our civilized society, put our animals over other humans. <laughs> we would never do that. Right? And they tell Jesus, you need to leave. And the man wants to come with Jesus. And, and this is important to remember. This desperate man experiences the power of God. And Jesus says to him, you can't leave. Go tell everybody you know about what happened to you. And they got in the boat and they come over to the other side. Now we're coming into our story in Mark chapter 5. This is where we come. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. What did the other guy do? Fell at his feet. They're falling at the feet of Jesus. Desperate people, desperate people all around him. He's running into desperate people that needed God in their life. God wasn't there. They had all of the religious teaching of the world, but they didn't have the presence of Jesus. And it wasn't, so even though they had all the knowledge of religion, they weren't experiencing the power of the word because they didn't understand the word because the word wasn't with them until the word was with them and then they bowed at the feet of the word. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she'd be healed. And well, as Jesus went with her, how many would be get, how many get a little bit uh, 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 desperate if you're a child? Right? You don't care. Hey, I know there are a lot of people, but I came to see Jesus, but I'm here. My daughter's important. You, and this is somebody, this was a leader in the synagogue. He was a somebody. But it's interesting. Certain situations will make your position irrelevant. Here's why that's a big deal. He was a leader in the synagogue. Jesus had spoken against the religious systems of that day. He and Jesus would have been at odds with each other in their theology until his daughter needed Jesus to do a miracle in, his, in, their, in her life. He, it was amazing how he put away all of that and laid it aside and said, even though we disagree, even what you're saying attacks my very position in the synagogue. I don't care. I need you to do a miracle in my daughter's life because he was desperate. It's amazing how that happens a lot in our life when we need God to do something, how we'll lay down our pursuits of things that really have no meaning at all to pursue the one who has all the meaning. The falling away of Israel was a pursuit of truth without experience. Now, I want you to hear this, this revelation, and it's a revelation. The religious leaders of that day memorized the Torah. They prayed every day. They fasted every week. They fasted. They, would, they did everything that the law was telling them to do, they would do. By just pure what you could see, they would be far better Christians than you would ever, ever know, even in your own life. Does someone fast in here twice a week? Every single week. Do you pray every day for an hour of prayer? Are you tithing? I mean, we could go on and on. How, how many have memorized the entire Torah? And this wasn't easy. They didn't even have a Bible. They didn't have a scripture. They had to go down and get scrolls and then memorize it. 
And yet when Jesus, God in a bod, is standing right in front of them, they have no idea what they're looking at. They have no idea what they're looking at. Here's the problem. When we have theology without an experience, we have religion. When you don't have an experience with the word, you will never understand the word. Jesus is the decoder ring. He is the lens to be able to read the word differently. The apostle Paul, one of the great believers of the truth, of the, of the word, understood the word and did not understand it until he had an experience with Jesus. And then it all made sense. We cannot. We cannot have a true theology until you have a true experience with Jesus Christ. Theological truth without an experience with that truth will leave you pursuing religion and death. Every desperate pursuit must begin with the pursuit of Jesus. Every desperate pursuit. The question we have to ask is, am I desperate for the presence of God? Or am I just wanting another theological speech did you come wanting to experience god this morning or did you come just wanting to hear a word and me like a performing monkey up here do my thing so you if you can say that that was just a good word are you looking to experience god today in your life are did you come with the hope that god would encounter you today did you worship with this desire this desperate desire that i want to encounter jesus today like this is intended to be an experience with him Mark 5, and we'll jump in right at Mark 5, verse 24. It said, a large crowd followed and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. The Bible doesn't tell us her name. We know her for her issues. And isn't it funny how we do that as well? There are people, I don't, I don't remember her name, but she's the one that had cancer. I don't remember her name, but she's the one that always lost her temper. I don't remember her name, but she's the one with a lot of money. I don't remember his name, but he's the one that kind of smells. I don't remember her name, but they're a little overweight. Or I don't remember their name, they're the ones that are way too skinny. I don't remember their name, but, and we, we label, like literally, we, we have titles. This woman was the woman with the issue of blood. And what's interesting, if you've never been there and you haven't seen this, these cities were not large. So it wasn't like she could hide in her community. Everybody truly knew everybody because they all depended on one another. So they all knew who she was and they knew she was the woman that had this bleeding problem. And, and the issue with this is when you have a, it wasn't like she was bleeding out her ears or out her eyes or out her nose. It was an internal bleeding problem. Now, I don't want to get into the detail of it, and, and if you're old enough, ladies, you know what I'm talking about, but you have this experience every once in a while. Imagine that it, it usually comes and it, imagine it never leaves. It started and it never leaves. Imagine the physical sense toll that would take on your body. You all know what it's like when you're in that place for a few days, but imagine that it's been 12 years and the husbands are like, oh my. <laughs> right? How many guys are like, oh my, right? And the ladies are like, that would be horrible and the torture of just that sense and she's dealing with this internal issue and the problem with that in this culture is if, if you're bleeding, ladies, you're considered to be unclean which means you cannot be touched, you cannot be kissed, 
You have to stay away from people because you're unclean, because you're, you're carrying this. In fact, if when we were in Israel, we went to the hotel room, all of the beds that we slept in, Heather and I slept in, were twin beds that had been moved together. And the reason they moved them together is when the woman is bleeding, she has to sleep separately from the husband, so they slide the beds apart. If, if she's unclean, so they don't have to sleep in the same bed. Can you imagine, ladies, if you couldn't touch your children, if you had them, if you couldn't touch your husband, or if you couldn't touch your mom or dad, you couldn't touch anyone. You had to stay away. And then you had to let people know that you're unclean, unclean. Is it, weren't you unclean like a year ago? And, aren't you, and then you know how it is in junior high when they talk about you. It's even worse when they become adults. Well, maybe she's got a problem, like, uh, what's the problem? Can't they fix it? Isn't, isn't she even trying to fix it? Can you imagine the stuff that was said? Maybe she's cursed. Maybe God's doing it to her because of what she did. You know how it is when you look at it. Maybe God's paying her back for something. All of the thoughts and the statements and the things she might have heard for 12 years. She's tried everything she knows to try to be healed from this condition. Maybe you have a bleeding problem. Maybe it's not blood that you're dealing with, but maybe it's something internal, just like this is an internal issue for her. Maybe there's an issue you have with something you've been dealing with for years, uh, an issue with, with uh, a substance or an issue with something you're watching or an issue with something that just you don't want to be in it, you can't get free from it. It makes you feel unclean. It makes you feel Far from God, it makes you feel not worthy of even being in the presence of God. In fact, you even avoid people because of the addiction you have to it. Maybe you're bleeding, and there's something in your life, in your relationships you've been, you've been struggling with, and you're like, God, I'm desperate. I need you to do something. And just like this woman, you feel alone because you become more recluse. You've pulled away. You've fallen into it. And it seems like you've tried everything. You've read every book. You've watched every podcast. You've gone to every video you know. You've even talked to people. And you can never find the answer. In fact, in some cases, it, hasn't, it wasn't that it just didn't help you. It's even gotten you to be worse. Just like this woman well, one day, one day, this woman woke up, and this day was different. One day, she woke up, and I want to tell you, one day, and it could be this day, in this moment, you awoke in this moment to the same thing you've been struggling with for years, and in this day, Jesus is passing by, and he wants to set you free. This day is different. This is a different moment. Where are you bleeding that no one can see? Where are you bleeding where your attitude has just been poor and, and people have avoided you because you're just kind of angry or agitated or edgy and not very likable and, and they have no idea the reason you're there is because you've been struggling. Things you've hidden because you're embarrassed by it. No one to talk to. Well, let me tell you, in the middle of Jesus' hot pursuit for a desperate father, he stops off to meet with desperate people. And he's here today 
His presence is in this room. I want to I talk about this woman. She heard a rumor. First, she heard a rumor. Mark 5, 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, when she, say it with me, when she heard about Jesus. See, I, she tried everything. She went to all the doctors. They, they, they told her a bunch of things. In fact, um, there, there are some doctors, uh, when you read Mark 5, it makes it feel like the doctors took advantage of her that they had taken all her resources and kept getting her to do things, even though it wasn't going to work, and they had tried all kinds of things. In fact, you're going to hear in the scripture, it says she tried all of those things, and it got worse. In Luke, so Mark, kind of it kind of gives you this feeling that there's this sinister type of approach. In Luke, who was a doctor, he said, there ain't no doctor going to help her. There, there wasn't anything that was going to help this woman. There was nothing that could happen. And here she is. Can you imagine if, 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 if someone were to tell you, you know what you're going through right now? There's no answer. There's nothing that's going to help you. You just got to learn to adapt and live with it in your life. This is the hell you're going to live. This is the thorn in your flesh. Deal with it. Can you imagine? One day she heard. She heard a story. She heard a rumor. There's this man. And wherever he goes, he changes people's lives. Like he healed the man of blindness. He healed the person of being deaf. And in her mind, I'm sure she's like, I can't get my hopes up. Is it real? Did this really happen? Or are they just exaggerating? Are they just making this up? Is this some like Western lore, you know, of, of, of something that happened? Is it really true? Could it be? And how would he ever know me? Who am I? I'm just a woman that no one wants to be around. I'm just someone people have rejected. I mean, even if it is true, even if it is true, how does that touch with me? And you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, I'm just a nobody in this room. Who am I? Why would God come to me? Do you know what I've done? And I'm here to tell you God knows exactly who you are. And you're at the center of his attention. Open your ears and hear. As her ears were opened, her, her, she heard. And, and faith comes from hearing. And something occurred in her when she heard. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Who's the word of God? Jesus. When she heard the stories of Jesus, faith started to arise in her like nothing else like she began to believe if i could just get to that place it moved her to the second thing she did was she showed up she showed up she didn't just hear you aren't going to get breakthrough by taking good notes you got to show up you got to come, and that's what she did. And this is something she didn't do because she was unclean. She had to avoid the crowds, and wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. But she showed up because when you're desperate, you start to fog out. Everything else fogs out around you like, I, I, I got to get there, and, and I know I'm not supposed to be there, and I know that I'm not worthy of this, and I know that I could get in trouble, but I'm going to show up. 
And she shows up in 25, it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she, say it with me, she came. I'll just stand on the edge. I'm just going to stand back and I'm going to watch. And maybe he'll notice me. And maybe he'll notice me. Maybe he'll, he'll come up to me and then I won't look bad. And, and if they knew who I was, so maybe she hid. Maybe she covered herself so nobody would see it was her. And she put a, can you see it, her putting the cloak? Because if she's there, everybody's going to go, unclean, unclean, unclean. How embarrassing would that be? She had done that before. I wonder if in the time of our lives, this time of trouble and transition and trauma and secret bleeding, if some of us are running to places where we're spending all of our energy and giving our attention to things that promise to make it better but end up making it worse. She had spent all she had. But there was a day when she had a name. She wasn't the woman with the issue of blood. She wasn't depression. She deals with depression. She wasn't an alcoholic. She dealt with alcohol. She, she wasn't her achievements. She had achievements. She, you're not your activities. That's, this, this is a crazy world. When we allow our sexuality activity become identity, that's not our identity. Your activity is not who you are. We are children of the living God. And she put herself in the path of God. She didn't go up to him. She didn't know him. She didn't know he was God in a bod. She had just heard what he had done. So she puts herself in the path of God. Maybe he'll pass by, and he does. But he doesn't see her. Walks right by her. But she had a thought. She had a thought. Third, she came. She heard. She came. She had a thought. And God's putting a thought in your mind right now in this moment. What if? What if? Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She had a thought. You know, the enemy's putting all kinds of thoughts in your mind. You just need to learn to live with this. You need to just, you just need to go with it. You, need, you know, th- this is a, you know, God doesn't help everybody. God doesn't, you know, there's some things you deserve. This is just a consequence. How many know the enemy loves to put thoughts in your mind, but the word, the scripture gives us an answer to that. In Corinthians, it says, um, some people who think we live by the standards of this world, though, though, for though we live in the world, we do not wage as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There are all kinds of non-God thoughts that drop into your head. This woman had a thought. What if you touched him? No, I, no, that's a dumb thought. You know, that, I don't, where did that thought come from? If I, I would have to go through the crowd, make everybody unclean, then go to the pinnacle of the leader of the church, because that's all she knew, and make him unclean? Surely, if I make him unclean, he'll never do anything for me. No, I can't do that. No, touch him. No, I can't touch him. I'm, I'm cursed. I mean, all these people know they. And here's the thing that we don't know: she could have been stoned. 
That's what happened to someone who's unclean. And then we'd go, it'd be the equivalent, this would be the equivalent of someone in 2020 running through a nursing home that had an extreme case of COVID spreading it all over the place. That's how they viewed it. I can't do that. What if you touch me? The thought keeps coming back. It's the thought. It, look what it says. Because she thought your thinking is either preventing you or propelling you into what God is, where God is trying to take you. You have to know when God is speaking to you or the enemy is speaking to you because he has to impact your thoughts first. Then she, she heard, she came, she thought, she touched. She reached out and touched. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched, not even Jesus, she touched his coat because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her in her body that she had been freed from the suffering that she had been in. Think about this for a moment. Because there's all kinds of people that say, no, I got to get my life together before I come to Jesus. I got to get my act together. I got to stop doing these things before I come to God. Think about this. Here is a woman who is unclean. Goes through a crowd, probably disguised herself. Goes through a cloud, crowd and then touches Jesus who is, if there is clean, he is clean. And his cleanliness swallowed up her uncleanliness. Everything in her, when she touched him, all of her uncleanliness got swallowed up in that. You do not need to get clean to come to Mr. Clean. Jesus is the power source. So she heard. She came. She thought. She touched. And then she turned on. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had left and gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? See, here's the problem. When she, she, was, she had a bleeding problem. But when you touch life, he doesn't just fix your bleeding problem. You just plugged into life. Everything else in your life changes. Your thinking begins to change. Every other part of your being become you become alive. You're not just healed. You light up like a Christmas tree. She had turned on. And, and this is what the disciples say. You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched you, Jesus? Look around. Everybody's touching you. And he goes, no. Somebody plugged into me. There are a whole lot of people that hang around Jesus, but only a few that plug into him. They touch him. They reach out. They came with this expectation that I'm not just here to hang out with Jesus, to hang out around his presence. I'm diving into his presence. I want to plug into who he is. I want to plug into life. I don't want to know just about him. I want to know him. I'm just teaching today. I don't want to preach. Everybody's touching him. People are touching Jesus all the time. And they come away no more different than they were when they spend time with him. He was physically in their presence, and people came, heard, 
and left, never experiencing life. But he knew this woman, somebody, experienced more than just the smell of my skin. They plugged into me, and I released something into them. I want to know who it is. I want to know who it is. I want to know, why would he do that? Why would he stop? He's got a desperate father whose daughter's dying. And he stops in the middle of it to find out who's already been healed. Why would he take the time away from that daughter who's dying to spend time to find out who touched him? Why would he do that? Why would he pull her out of the crowd or whoever the person was out of the crowd? Why would he embarrass the person in front of them? Why would he do that? And yet he looks around and he says, no, we're not going anywhere. Who touched me? Who touched me? There's a reason he stopped. There's a reason he came to that place. She, this is the last one. She heard. She came. She thought. She touched. She turned on. She testified. She stopped. Who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. In verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and felt. What did she do? Fell at his feet. What is everyone doing in this chapter? Falling at his feet. What is it? It's time of humility. I am desperate. Abraham Lincoln said, for those who try to succeed without God, must fail. They must fail. We were created to be plugged into Jesus, and when we're not, we must fail. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, and, and I'm not trying to be rude, but this was a woman who gave every detail, I'm sure. came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And look at what he said in verse 34. Look what he said in verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, the whole time she's cursed. I'm cursed. I'm broken. I'm rejected. I haven't been touched. I haven't been loved. I haven't been carried. Do you know the only place in Scripture where Jesus says this word, daughter? Why did he stop? Because he wanted to know who she was. You're not a slave. You're not just some human being. You're my daughter. And just as I'm going after that, des that father's desperate desperation for his daughter, I'm in this place because I'm desperate for you. I've been searching. I've been seeking. I've been pursuing you. And you know, this woman didn't wait for Jesus to come to her. She says, he passed me. She came up from behind and said, if I could just touch him, I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to touch him. And when she did, she turned on and then she testified. Just like the man who he said, go and tell everybody what happened. Then the daughter of Jairus dies. He goes and raises her from the dead. And he says, don't tell anybody. Now, let me ask you a question. If God raised your daughter from the dead and then said, don't tell anybody, how many would not listen to that statement? You'd be like, I'm not supposed to tell anybody, so don't tell anybody. But Jesus raised my daughter from the dead. Right? How many are in here? 
If you're desperate and you're in a place where you have internal bleeding, nobody knows what it is, and you felt rejection, you felt cursed, you've wondered. Desperate people, they hear, they come, they think, they touch, they power up, and they testify. Will you stand? If you're in desperation right now and something going on in your life, today is different. Today is different. Today is different. If you got something so desperate going on in your life, you need to reach out. You need to come. You need to reach out and touch. A thought has been dropped in your mind. He put it in your mind because that's what you're going to do. You're going to do what that thought is. You're going to respond. You're not going to let the devil come and pluck it away out of the path because that seed of that thought is going to do something far abundant, more abundantly than anything you've ever seen before in your life. But if you've got a desperation in your life, first thing you're going to do is step out of your seat and come stand in this altar by yourself. Nobody's going to pray for you. You're going to come up to this altar and you're going to stand up here and you're going to reach out and touch God. Just start coming out right now. Just start reaching out. You've got, like, I'm desperate. Like, there, there's something going on in my life right now and I've been going through this and I, I am desperate for God to do something in me right now. I need God to do something. Don't be embarrassed. Remember, they fell at the feet. They said humility. They they came in humility. Set pride down. All, all worried about what somebody's going to say. That's what's getting in you trouble. This woman didn't worry about what anybody was saying. She was desperate. If you're worried about what somebody's got to say, you ain't desperate. You're in that place. You're at that place right now. I need God to do something in this area of my life right now. I need Him to do something. I'm coming forward because He's going to do a miracle. I believe it. This day is different. Amen. This is a different day. Something's going to happen inside of us. Amen. Let's just begin to worship. If, if you're in this audience and you're saying, well, you know, I, I don't have anything right now. to come," That's okay. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So now you got the opportunity to reach your hands out and just begin to agree with your brothers and sisters in this altar and say, I agree right now that God is going to do something incredible right now in this place.